Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of After the Snap, we have an interview with Atlanta Braves pitcher Jake Higginbotham. We will also be discussing last week's NFL schedule release, as well as some updates from around Major League Baseball. It's time for After the Snap. Let's go. Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. And keep your mouth shut, 50. I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south on a bunch. Can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again. Twist a little bit of teeth because I got thick skin. All right, so let's just jump right in here, Reed. The NFL schedule was released last Thursday, and it was probably poor timing for our podcast release. We're thinking about maybe talking about it and doing some teasers, but we released on Friday. Anyway, it's time to talk NFL schedule release. The Buffalo Bills have like 14 primetime games. The Dolphins have several. I can't wait to talk notable matchups. Some of my favorite matchups that I'm looking forward to. Tell me some of yours. I know you guys have a bunch of primetime games. What are some that you're most looking forward to this upcoming season? Before I get into the the ones that I kind of circle to have four or five on here in my notes that I want to get to, but before we kind of get into those, it we've hit on this a couple of times talking about the draft and the combine and how the NFL owns the offseason, basically. Yeah. It is unbelievable, unbelievable, the anticipation that surrounds a schedule release. It's unbelievable. And I am as big a culprit as anybody else out there. Now, I won't go as far. I didn't didn't follow the guy, uh, the Twitter guy who created his account three weeks ago. Right. And was putting out stuff, throwing darts yeah. at the pole. You know, it's like eventually yeah. you're going to be right once. The, but the schedule, even, the schedule leaks, the schedule leaks have become that guy. It's become a problem almost with Prop, definitely the a problem. teasers because most of the time they're not right at all. Sometimes here right. and there you'll see a schedule leak that, you know, I think maybe you you said it before to me. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not about the Rams potentially being on Thursday night. I think you might have said that on I, the pod. I had just seen something about that because if you you can use context clues right. for a lot of things, you know, like I think the I don't know the Rams might have been might be playing in London, so like yeah. that's a game that they yeah. you know that they're giving up. Then you then you look at like okay, well, they're definitely playing on opening night, but they play this team on, you know, on, on later in the season, and that's already so that you have five more home games to choose from. So which game, which of the home opponents left is the best matchup? Right. And you can kind of go through, like, like yep. Denver was another option for them, but so yep. it was like Denver or Buffalo for the opening game. And then it was like, okay, well, they played Denver later in the season, so it's got to be Buffalo. So it's like you can kind of like filter out a little yeah. bit, but keep going. Sorry. No, I was just saying there are there are times like that where it's spot on. Like you you can use right. the context to to pinpoint what the game is going to be, and then you get the then you get the the leaks leaks that are just like complete, just shot in the dark, and and there's no there's no evidence at all to back that up. And but and I, fake, I do fake schedules. Yeah. I mean, the fake white page schedules yeah. were floating around with but misspelled I think, team names. Like that was a dead giveaway. But I think as, I think as the popularity grows around the schedule release, I mean, I don't remember five years ago, the schedule release being as big of a deal as it is today. But uh, yeah, it's definitely, I, I will say, thing. I will say that as we see more hype around the schedule release, 
there's going to be more people trying to predict the schedule. Same thing with the draft. I mean, the draft is the one of the most popular things about this league, and you see mock draft after mock draft after mock draft of people just trying to predict who's going to pick who, and even the journalists who have inside information that are just completely wrong. And, you know, it's just – I feel like as the popularity around the schedule release grows, that's a that's just a common byproduct of it. We'll get into it here. A few uh, matchups I circled, obviously, week one right off the bat. Like, apart from, you know, like who we're playing, I really circled it just because, like, what a cool way to, like, start the season, right? I mean, you're playing, you know, Super Bowl champs in their home stadium. I've never played there before, you know, checking it off my list. Thursday, primetime, only game on TV. You know everybody's going to be watching that was the first one I had, I had jotted down. The second one, I think is a, is a, is a given week six in Kansas City. Uh, it's not a primetime, like a night slot. Like an afternoon like, slot. Like a, it's a, it's a 425. CBS chose it as their game of the year, which is the one game I think that they can protect. From but they a can't standpoint. I don't think they, they can't can, be flexed. Right. That, well, I was just going to say, I don't think that they would be able to make that a night slot because Sunday night football owns that time, owns that time. And, and you're not going to have, no, two, two I, w- games I was just saying it's not, other. yeah, I was just saying it's not like a prime time. Like you think of Got prime it. time games, yeah. it's a night game, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's the, you know, game of the week or whatever yeah. game of the year for CBS. Yeah. Um, Week 12, obviously, Thanksgiving in Detroit. That will round off. Bills are playing a lot uh, on Thanksgiving recently. Uh, yeah, there, this will be our third, uh, or my, my third game on Thanksgiving. We're who, knocking out. Who did you, you had Dallas? Dallas in 19, Saints last year. Saints, okay. And then at Detroit this year, week 12, that'll be, that's the early slot. Uh, Detroit always gets the, the first Thanksgiving slot. So we will have played in all three time slots uh, over the last uh, last couple of years playing on Thanksgiving, which is also cool. Get Bills fans. Uh, obviously, you're going to be tuning in early. And then the last two I had, week 15, you guys come to town, uh, the home Ferguson Bowl. I imagine that the reverse uh, game is probably on your notes, hosting you guys. I'll have to get you guys some good beer or something from up here. I feel like that to do it upright. I feel like that this year could be a very meaningful game being that late in the year. Last year, our second, second time playing y'all was week eight or nine. And we were at the, at the time we were like one and seven. And so it didn't mean anything. And the year before when we came to Buffalo, it was the last game of the season and it was. It was our opportunity if we if we had beat you guys to get into the playoffs. I feel like the same same type of thing could happen on this week fifteen matchup, and that's also one that I had on my notable matchups was this game because it it could mean a lot towards not only the, the division but also just playoff implications in general. If if you know if somebody's out of winning the division, then you could still make the wild card or whatever. So absolutely, uh, I think that one's going to be big time game. I didn't memorize the dates of the games. I know I think they had it that on was two like a Saturday, separate, Sunday. I th- yeah, I think they had it on two separate dates. I don't think they've locked that one in yet. I, just, I think it's like the 18th, 19th. Is yeah, it the week before yeah. Christmas? Uh, yes. Yeah, because the, okay. the next week we play – this is another one that I had. We play Green Bay at home on Christmas Day. And so, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so that and week 15 would, that. Be, would be the day before. The last one I have noted – is week 17, second to last game of the season. We go to Cincinnati for the uh, what I believe is the last Monday night football game of the season. So that'll be pretty cool. Last time we went down there, I think we lost in 2017. So it'll be good to go back down there. I, I, I vividly remember it was monsooning all day long. We'll be... Anxious to get back down there and get a win. That, that, you know, AFC opponent late in the season, that, that could be a big game too. So as far as you, I know you yeah. had a few circled. What, what do you, yeah. what, what are some of the games you, you jotted down? A couple of them are repeats from opponents that, that you guys are playing. First, well, this first one is obviously not, but week three, 
you guys come to town. That's like starting off the season hot. We, we have like a four game just roaster right at the beginning with Baltimore. And I think we kick off maybe with New England game one. You guys have New England week one. You guys are there week three. And then week four, we go to Cincinnati. And okay. the last time we were in Cincinnati was preseason this past year. It was, it was beautiful up there. It was, oh, I mean, yeah. it, it was almost, it was almost like hot. We were like, wow, this is, you know, we thought we were getting out of Miami and coming up here for a preseason game. It's going to be a little, a little bit cooler, but, uh, it actually turned out being pretty warm. So hopefully we get some good weather being that it's uh, pretty early in the year. And then, like I mentioned before, week 14, 15, 16 is kind of a fun, Back to back to back, uh, 14, week 14, we're at LA Chargers. So that'll be the first time going out to SoFi. I'm pretty pumped about that one. Uh, see your buddy, uh, Justin. Yes. See Herbo, see, Herbo, see yep. uh, Fahoko, see a couple, couple of those guys out there. And nice. then, like I said, just seeing that stadium. Uh, that's one that I've been looking forward to since it was built. Week 15, we're at Buffalo. And like I said before, could be a super meaningful game. Week 16, home versus Green Bay on Christmas Day. Those are my top five notable matchups. Every game in this league is a big game. You want to win every single one of them, but a lot of those ones that I mentioned are big time meaningful games. It's going to be, it's going to be a great year. I'm pumped. And I, I think it is too. And I'm really looking forward to having the NFC North. On our schedule uh, this year, I know I only mentioned one of them with Green Bay, but that's sort of the rotation that we're in for the AFC East, NFC North matchup uh, this year, and I'm pretty pumped about that. Who is the NFC West team that you guys play? We play at San Fran the week okay. before we play the Chargers. So That's, our, that's the 17th game. Yeah. So I would imagine, I'm not, I don't know, but I would imagine that we would maybe stay out there because we're at San Fran and then we're at LA the next week. So I don't know. It seems like you would just stay out there and practice as opposed to coming all the way back to Miami and then going all the way back on a Friday, just because going to West Coast, you usually want to get out there a little earlier to get Mm -hmm. adjusted to the time change. But who knows? So, um, I'll be interested to see that. But yeah, San Fran, that's, are you, who do you guys have? The Rams. Rams. The Ra- okay. The Rams. Done. Yep. Got it. So yeah, should be, should be a great year. Looking forward to it. Wanted to, uh, get into some baseball stuff. I mean, we love talking about it. I mean, we're sending each other stuff pretty much daily. Yep. Um, if you don't us follow and, us on uh, Twitter, if you don't follow yeah. us on Twitter, you need to follow our personal accounts because Reed and I are, and a few other friends of ours are constantly going back and forth, specifically around the Red Sox and Yankees rivalry. More and the nuances of their baseball the, parks. More specifically, the short porch in the Bronx, which is also like a minor league stadium, but it's okay. The Yankees are um, leading the pack right now, and you guys are proud. Yes, yes very proud. I think on if you looked at a lot of like the betting sites and stuff, they had the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Rays, and I think the Red Sox. I can't remember if it was three or if it was four teams, basically all winning the same amount of games. I think they all they had them all at like eighty eight wins or something like that. It was something crazy. Like they, you know, Vegas basically looked at and said we value these teams all the same, and we thought it was going to be a bloodbath. Turns out it hasn't, thankfully. It's been great. Red Sox haven't been great. But uh, the Yankees, I think they showed a stat the other night. I think they've won like, you know, 18 of their last 21 or 22 games. Just an insane start to the season. And whatever their uh, record been, was. You know, must have like, been a lot of home games early. Yeah. Whatever their record was, like 30, 32 and 9 or something, whatever it was. Uh, at the time it showed, you know, four or five teams that had started that at that record or a game better and they had all want, gone on to win the World Series. So I, I am not getting my hopes up. I know 
the past couple years what this team is capable of and how this team is built around the power game. Uh, but they have changed. Um, so kudos to Brian Cashman for bringing in some, some speed to the Yankees and some, a, a little more of the small ball game. It's funny to me to look back on this offseason and specifically like the last month or two right before the season got going. Yankees fans were pissed with Cashman and, and the way that they we didn't sign a sign free story. Agency. Didn't, didn't sign, sign any of the big time free, free agents. And it's, it's proving to have been yeah. the right, the right decision as of a month and a half into the season. Right. Is it so, sustainable? Um, we'll see. Right. But I mean, judge, not to mention, I mean, turned down $230 million. I uh, said, I'm betting on myself and basically said, watch this. And, and he is currently performing yep. at a sick pace right now, basically tops or near the tops for the AL MVP race right now, probably out there with uh, uh, Shohei Otani and a couple other guys. But, um, you know, I think uh, Trevor Story's hit a couple homers lately. He's heating up. Started off slow. He'll turn it around. Definitely started off slow. That happens, though. I mean, Correa did the same thing in Minnesota yeah. when they signed him to his big deal. So. Yeah. I think when you do that, there's there's a lot of pressure around that. And I think that it's probably cliche to say, oh, signed a big contract. There's a lot of pressure. Duh. But when you go to a new place and you're getting adjusted to so many new things, a new team, a new coaching staff, there's going to be a little bit. I feel like it's natural to have a little bit of a slow start. When J.D. Martinez came to the Red Sox, it was not that. And I think that the Red Sox were, I think Red Sox fans were a little bit spoiled because of that. He was our last big, like, free agent who was like, okay, this guy's a baller. Like, this guy, he, like, he's going to come in and he's going to hit how, you know, 40 home runs a year. And he did. Like, the first two years, he, I mean, it was, he, he was just, it seemed like every single night he was, Yakking one and then smacking another one off the, off the monster. And so then, you know, Trevor Story comes in with these huge expectations because everybody was trying to sign him to these big deals. We got him. Not playing his normal position. Not playing his normal position. He's learning a whole new, not learning a whole new position because I'm sure he's played it before, but it's definitely not what he's, what he's been used to playing his whole career in Colorado. You tie all that together and then all of a sudden he's a, a month in and he's, had he has one home run and you're like okay slow start the red sox are getting going devers has been keeping us not in the mix we are we're not in the mix right now we're 13 games out of first in the in the al east not looking great tough hill to climb we are ahead of baltimore now which is progress (laughs) i wasn't gonna bring it up we were two games behind Baltimore. You, the last time you and I spoke about this, and now we are now, we are now a half game ahead of Baltimore. So we are slowly climbing to the top. I'll see you after 162 games. But uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, th- well, that I wanted to bring up was the Pirates and Reds game from last week. Yes, and if all did, time. Disgusting game. Yeah. If you didn't see, if you didn't see the headlines coming out of this game, the Pirates beat the Reds, who I think might be the the worst team in the league right now. Are they definitely the worst team in the league? I think they're, they have the, they were like three and 24 at one point. Like they're they're all time bad. They're currently 10 and 26. The next closest team, I believe, is Washington at 12 and 26. Anyway, it's down there too. Pittsburgh. Yeah, they're 15 and 21. Anyway, Pittsburgh beats the Reds after getting no hit. The Reds threw a, I believe it was a combined no hitter against the Pirates. Yes. Yes. They, the, the, the Pirates, Pirates ended up winning any the game. hits. Right. They didn't have any hits, but I think t- by technicality, the Reds pitchers didn't throw nine innings. So it's technically not being classified as a no hitter. Okay. 
They didn't have that's any super hits. nuanced. Yeah. That's super nuanced. I'm, just, have... I'm saying that for myself yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I was in yes. the same thing a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, they got no hit. Oh, right. technically they only threw eight innings yeah. because they, you know, obviously won in the, in the bottom half of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, all time I watched the highlights. If you haven't watched the highlights, don't. Um, <laughs> it's just, not, there's one extra base hit. Yeah. I mean, just no. Uh, all no time words. bad baseball. All time h- bad. Hilarious baseball. stat yes. line. It's like six teams in history that have done it, yeah. I think, that have no yeah. hit, gotten no hit and still won yeah. the game. Um, pretty amazing, but the Mets are killing it. Killing, uh, crushing new it. New owner. Ton of free agents. I mean, Scherzer and Scherzer is 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 a monster. He's performing. I didn't think that he would still perform at, at a Cy Young at this high of a of a Cy Young quality after signing a big deal and moving teams to the same division in in the same division. I mean, I I love watching him pitch. He just he's so angry, and that brings up another thing where did you the like I. I think he was like a Japanese ambassador or somebody who was supposed to throw out the first pitch. Oh yeah. Yeah. But he was like, the- <laughs> he was like three minutes late. He was already going on out the, there. On the mound. Scherzer was warming up. He was like four or five pitches in. Didn't let him throw the first pitch. No. no. They like said, the marketing, the marketing no, lady not. with like the headset was like, it was like, just, this is not just not I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not just- talking to him. So that means you're not doing this. I felt bad for the guy, but like at the, I mean, beyond time, you got to know who you, it's like, you got to know your audience. You got to know who's, you got to know who's yeah. in front of you waiting to take yeah. the mound. So I don't uh, know that there's f- an, I don't know that there's an angrier person that I would want to try and push off the mound than Max Scherzer. There's not, there's not. I'm trying to think of like, who would I want to approach less before they pitch a, a start a game? I think there's like one person in that category in Max Scherzer. And then last thing on baseball, we oh, talk geez. about it. I mean, darn near every night it feels like. So bad. It's time for the automated strike zone. These umps have been umps have, the umps are terrible and atrocious. There, I follow. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. There's a Twitter account that I follow. I think you follow Is it, it bad, as well. Bad ump bad, calls or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. terrible. There, it's, it's, it's like a every night. Show. It's a it's comedy every, show. Every time uh, Angel Hernandez oh, yeah. calls a game, there's like six pitches that come out of his performance that are just like totally wrong. Totally wrong. And we're not asking you to be perfect. Just don't have so many of them. Just yeah. just be better. Just be a little better. Yeah, it's brutal. But it seems like across the league – it's been, it's been all time bad. There were, there was, I was, I can't remember what game I was watching the other day. There was confusion, uh, on like a fielder's choice type play and the umps were like going back and forth for like five minutes on what the correct call was. And I think they still ended up, I think the commentators said that they still got it wrong. Like, well, like, let's I do. Come on, man. Yeah. I do love that they have mics now and they announce yeah. like instant yeah. replay stuff. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That's, but, um, I think, I think in all of the major sports now, you have referees who are called, I mean, football, obviously, basketball, they like talk into the weird camera that's like right on the scorer's yep. desk, like uncomfortable because yep. he's like, he's like looking down into the thing. NHL, obviously, when they announce the calls and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then now baseball. So I think yep. uh, all of the all of the major sports have have some uh, have some good communication, which I think for the fans is is better. Definitely, definitely. Because I feel like it used to be that you just it's like you know, well, yeah, you just take go your best guess. You just assume you think you know what happened, but now you don't have to. And speaking of major sports, including soccer, because I think that that has to be included. Uh, as of late, which they don't have mics, uh, nope. they kind of just have their camera deal or the video board, whatever. I don't think the uh, MLS. They, you know, cur- I don't think the, the MLS uh, currently counts in terms of the major sports in the United States. If you fair enough, get, I think it's the Big Four. And it's growing, kind of the MLS, but yeah, 
Certainly grow. Um, well, speaking of the MLS, Leo Messi. Coming to coming to Miami. Enter Miami. Let's and he go. Is, uh, he's taking a $200 million stake in the team, in the organization, to be a part owner, uh, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Because they can't seem to get their act together. Yeah, they been, have been, it's been terrible. Bad. Yeah. Even with uh, like and, some, and some good, like, yes, foreign signings. Yes. Like, they, um, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a disaster because, I mean, when they were, I mean, it took them years yeah. to even get the team set up yeah. when they had all the clearance they needed. I mean, it was just, yeah, there was, I remember their first season a couple years ago. Maybe it was 2019, but it was like two months before the season started and they didn't have a coach. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like, like I mentioned a second ago, I feel like with the, with the major signings that they've had, even though they've been late in their career, I feel like that's at least a good foundation for good football. And like you have to build on them. You got Gonzalo Higuain and his brother. You had uh, Matuidi, like you had some some major players who've played big time football in Europe. Come on, like, and you've got yeah. David Beckham as your owner. I know, like, I know. That's right. There's there, some there's there's some disconnect there, but yeah, it will Leo be very Messi, cool. I believe it was a 35 percent stake in the team, and he's going to come in 2023 after his contract is up in Pelwi. So pretty cool. It should be sick. Cool. I'm I'm pumped about that. I know you and I are both Atlanta United he's fans. Gonna sco- he's going to score fifty goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to be running circles around MLS defenders. And you've seen time after time the guys who come over here from Europe to finish their career. Zlatan, who came over here, played for LA Galaxy, torched. Just torch people. And so Leo Messi, who's in my mind, he's the greatest player of all time. I, I, that's up for debate. Makes but two of us. It's, it's, it's hard for me to believe that he's not going to just, just run circles around people. So it should be super, super exciting. Coming up, we'll be sitting down with Atlanta Braves pitcher Jake Higginbotham. He's a football teammate of mine from middle and high school, and he's currently based just outside of Jackson, Mississippi, with the AA Mississippi Braves. He will be joining us right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the pod this week, we have Atlanta Braves pitcher and even more importantly, high school teammate of mine, Jake Higginbotham. First of yes, all, sir. thank you for joining us. Secondly, let's just jump right into it. Uh, you grew up in metro Atlanta area. Baseball is obviously a huge deal in Atlanta, specifically travel baseball. I know you played over in East Cobb. How did you sort of get into playing baseball growing up and then on into the East Cobb baseball. That's like the sort of the, I, I, I don't know how, what you want to call it, but that's, that's where everybody yeah. big. It's like the out. Mecca of travel. Yeah, ball, yeah. almost. Yeah. How yeah. did you get into um, that? I started playing baseball. I think when I was four years old, I played T-ball and just played it all the way through. It was actually uh, my second favorite sport. I love to play football. Um, but as you know, I stopped growing when everyone else kept growing. As far as travel ball goes, I started playing travel ball when I was 10 out of uh, the park I grew up playing at. They were called the OC Stars. You know, I was the smallest kid on the team, played a little bit of center field, didn't pitch much, uh, couldn't hit the ball out of the infield. <laughs> I was I was tiny, but I could run a little bit, so I was effective. When I turned 13, we moved over to Forsyth County. I played at Sharon Springs for the Sharon Springs Spartans for a year and then for the Georgia Outlaws for a year. And uh, when I was 14 and then I played for team Gwinnett when I was 15 and 16 
we made the transition over to East Cobb and I, I redid my 16 year old year and played with my graduation date. And then I played at East Cobb from 16, 17 and 18 years old. So, um, yeah, East Cobb is like the Mecca of travel ball. It's, it's crazy. And, and professional baseball, how many guys I see that played over at East Cobb. I actually have two on my team that I played with in travel ball right now in double A. So, um, it's pretty wild, but, uh, lots of great memories made. Lots of great memories made over at that park. You kind of just alluded to what I was going to ask about uh, some of those guys that you played with. Obviously, like Blake said, and like you just talked about, East Cobb is is the mecca, like you like you said, of kind of where a lot of those pro guys come from. Uh, Dansby there with the Braves, Jared Walsh uh, balling out uh, in L.A. with the Angels, uh, Buster Posey, probably Hall of Fame catcher, and then Brandon Phillips, another another big name that came out of East Cobb. Who who are some of those guys? Uh, that you mentioned that, that you played with that are now in the, in the big leagues. So Joey Bart, another Buford Wolf. He's a freak of nature. That guy is unbelievable. He's one of the best players I ever played with. So he played over at East Cobb with us. We played on the same team when we were 17. Brandon Marsh is another name. Also a Buford Wolf plays out in LA for the Angels. Great beard. Great beard. Great Elite beard. beard. Had a tumble the <laughs> other day on the, on the Gatorade. That was team. amazing. We, we saw it. We saw Absolutely it. Absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. I wanted to send it to him, but I'm sure he's getting ragged on pretty hard. What are some of the other names? Dexter Fowler's an East Cobb name. Tyler Stevenson. Uh, did Dexter play at Milton? I believe he did. Yes. Yeah, I believe he did. He's yep. the, he came out of Milton High. That's where we that's where we grew up before we moved over to Buford. Right, right, right. So right. He, um, yeah, I think I think he was the name I remember that came out of Milton. That's a big baseball hotbed. A lot of a lot of guys uh, I played against in college were out of that area. They're uh, the Milton High School team's always loaded. So, yeah, Tyler Stevenson, Riley Gillum, and the list goes on and on. And uh, Jalen Miller is on my team. He played at East Cobb. Trey Harris is on my team in Double A. He played at East Cobb. It's pretty insane. We were actually talking about it the other day in the locker room. The amount of guys we played with that are in professional baseball. So, I don't think a lot of other travel organizations can boast the numbers that the East Cobb travel organization can boast as far as guys in professional baseball. So it's pretty impressive. East Cobb is like the Buford of. Yeah. Of I'm, well, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was where we were going to go next. And, and in tandem with playing at East Cobb, you were also playing for one of the top baseball schools in the South, in my opinion. And yeah. I was just going to ask you what, what kind of impact that Buford sort of left on you as far as going to play, playing at the next level and, and ultimately wanting to play professional baseball, you mentioned right. the names Joey Bart, Brennan Marsh, uh, Sam Clay, who played mm-hmm. uh, at Buford before you. How did Buford prepare you to play at the next level? I think the biggest thing with Buford was the, uh, the camaraderie we had. Honestly, it was maybe as close a team as I ever played on. We got along really well. We were always on the same page with stuff. We competed really hard. We had fun in the dugout. You know, we had a great team too. We had, I think my senior year, uh, Blake and I senior year, we had, um, 10 division one guys on that team. It was, it was a pretty absurd number. You know, we had really good players and we were blessed with that. But at the same time, we played really well together. We practiced hard. We played hard. We had fun. You know, we had team dinners twice a week. Like it was, that was probably one of the closest teams I've ever been on. And, for that reason, we were ha- able to have some success my senior year and win a state championship. I know y'all two got got to experience a couple more state championships than I did, but it's a it's a feeling unlike any other. It really is. It's it's I won some champion. I won a championship in college, an ACC championship, and then I won a double A championship last year. And I don't think anything quite compared to that state championship run we made. It was uh it was pretty special, and there's a lot of memories from that. So. Definitely lucky to be able to be a part of the Buford family as far as the guys I got to meet, the coaches I got to be around, just the culture of the school. It was, uh, seemed like there was always a buzz around the hallways about a sporting event of some sort because we were so dominant in different sports. So I think it was, it was because, really fun to be a part of. I think it was because of the maybe thousand students in that school, probably yeah. 75% were athletes in some capacity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and the like rest I said, y'all. And the rest were winning state championships in, you know, some kind of other arts or, or whatever it was. It was, it was a school based around excellence for sure. At what point in, you know, in high school or maybe even earlier than that, did you decide, okay, I want to pursue 
baseball more than football past high school and then maybe jump into uh, your recruiting journey and how you chose Clemson over some of your other options? From the time I started playing football at five years old, um, that was my first season of, of full contact football. That's all I ever wanted to do. I loved football. After my ninth grade season, I got hurt that summer and didn't play much in baseball because of the, so I played quarterback in football and then played defense as well. Blake was actually my center. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I played quarterback and the amount of throwing we did during the football season and then turn around and play a, a full school ball season and then turn around and play a summer season. Uh, it was a lot on the arm. And then a lot of kids, they started to hit that growth spurt and get bigger and stronger after that ninth grade year. And I played spring ball for what was going to be my 10th grade season. And I, I was kind of given a decision to make um, as far as, you know, I needed to be at summer workouts for football if I really wanted to have an opportunity to to contribute to the team. And I just couldn't do that with the, the baseball schedule that we had. At that point, I kind of had a self-realization that football probably wasn't going to be my future just based on my size. I chose baseball. And I think that summer that following summer I committed to Clemson. So I, I, uh, I mean, y'all know how the recruiting process goes. It can be overwhelming at time. It seems like y'all kind of had an idea of where you wanted to go from the shoot, but I had no clue. I had no clue where I wanted to go. So I, I saw, I got an offer from Western Kentucky. I spoke to Tennessee pretty heavily. Georgia tech gave me an offer. I spoke to Virginia and Vanderbilt pretty briefly um, but ultimately chose Clemson just felt like the the right fit from a campus and an education standpoint. So, you know, that's one of the best decisions I ever made was going to Clemson and, you know, you, wouldn't trade that experience for my life. You wouldn't have met your now wife had you not Correct. been at Clemson. Um, what did, I, I guess, what did she, what kind of impact has she had in your journey? Obviously playing professional sports is, is very difficult. How has her support helped you, you know, from meeting her at Clemson and kind of seeing it, from the ground up. Y'all know me. I'm, I'm pretty intense when it comes to competing. Like I, I get sometimes too intense to it's to a fault sometimes. And she's actually more intense than I am. So it's, she, she balances me out a little bit as far as like on days where I don't perform the way I want to perform as mad as I am. She's like, dude, you, Hey, you got to get together. We're going to be all right, but you got to get it together. She gives me that pep talk, keeps me going. So she's been a trooper with the distance and, it's not an easy thing being a minor league baseball player's wife. We don't make a ton of money and uh, we're normally not home six months out of the year. So she has been a real trooper with that. Nothing but supportive. I actually get to see her on Wednesday up in Chattanooga. So I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, she's been incredible. She grew up in a, in a sports house. Her dad is a football baseball coach, coached her in softball. She played golf. He coached her in golf. Um, her mom coached her in cheerleading and dance. So her brother plays football at Newberry and her sister ran cross country at USC upstate. So they come from a sports family. So she totally gets it. She understands what's going on with the life. And I mean, as you all know, being professional athletes, like I said, it's, it's not an easy gig, but it's, it's what we set out to do from an early age. So it's just part of us. So, and she gets that completely. You ultimately ended up getting drafted by the hometown Atlanta Braves. What was it like being drafted to play in the city that you grew up in? It's been pretty dang cool. Uh, lots of support coming out of, you know, all the Atlanta Braves fans in the area. But I will say on draft day, or during the three days of the draft, I did not expect the Braves to be a team that called my name. In our pre-draft meetings in the fall, they actually told me that they don't typically draft old juniors. So the Yankees and the Braves both told me the same thing. So I pretty much cross them off in my mind as potential landing spots. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to get my name called by them in the 11th round. And uh, it was, it, it was really pretty cool. I got to sign at the stadium and you know, that's the team I grew up watching down at Turner field. So to be a part of that was pretty cool. Staying kind of with the Braves topic, you got a few innings uh, with the big boys in spring training. Yeah. Um, how, how does that help from a, kind of a development standpoint for a young guy like yourself to face all those guys uh, for a few weeks uh, in spring training. If you look at double a up and in the minor leagues, I think everyone's physically capable of competing at a major league level. Um, I think what separates major leaguers from, from uh, minor leaguers is, you know, the, the confidence 
after failures. They're, they're able to stay confident after failures and they're able to block out any distractions mentally. Basically, I think is the biggest thing. They're able to handle the stage for me to get that experience. Yeah. I got to pitch against, you know, the big league Yankees lineup and that was a wild adrenaline rush, but it kind of showed me that, you know, I, I, I can compete at that level and it was more of a confidence boost than anything. I didn't, I didn't doubt my physical capabilities, but a lot of times the game can speed up on you when, when stuff happens like that. And, uh, I felt like I managed it pretty well and it was kind of a eye opener knowing that I just got to continue to develop and I can compete at that level. So a lot of the, uh, I guess just from following it over the years, like you, like you mentioned from double A up, you know, got, pretty much everybody can compete. Uh, right. I mean, uh, that makes sense because a lot of, call-ups, I mean, you see guys, you know, pretty often get called up, you know, straight from double to the major leagues. So, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's guys every year that kind of skip the triple-A step. Um, right. So it, it kind of, you know, like you said, it kind of comes down to that confidence. Uh, right. But, but obviously the Braves reigning world champs, uh, what has it meant for, you know, to, 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 for the organization to, to, to bring that home to Atlanta? First one in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. since 95, I, I, I remember wearing or, or watching the, uh, we had like a video, uh, mm-hmm. like a, I don't even know, Blake, what was it? Like a, like a, it was like a world series highlight. Yeah. It was know, like from 1995. And I remember I, when I was young, you know, I was probably like five or six years old and I would sit. And just watch that and Lion King on replay like all day long. And I'll, I'll, I, that's like, a, that's like a core childhood memory to yeah. me. Like watching, oh, yeah. just sitting and watching that, watching like the, it was like a season highlight, whatever, like, di- like, right. di- uh, you know, not a DVD, but like a VHS. VHS. Yeah. Uh, right. you know, back then, back, back in the late nineties. But, um, what, you know, what from, from being a player in that organization, what does it mean to the city? to bring a championship after, you know, uh, such a, such a long drought. It seems like it's kind of put a jolt in the fan base a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around the Braves. I think it's awesome. You, you can sense it in spring training. There's a sense of urgency to win right now. If you like, they have a roster that can compete with any other roster in the league. And, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of excitement and it, it kind of feels like I said, back in the high school days when there was excitement around the halls, knowing that, you had a bunch of winning teams. It's kind of the same thing. There's a, just an extra little energy going around the locker room and in the minor leagues. Like everyone wants to be a part of it. So I think for the city, it was awesome. You know, they built that new stadium over there in Smyrna and uh, I guess it's technically Atlanta, but it's really Smyrna, the battery. And I feel like it's, it's always jumping over there. There's a lot of energy around the team. And I think it's been good for the sports fans in Atlanta to be able to experience a, uh, a championship. Now, you know, I hate that UGA got a, got a national championship that they can celebrate as well. But, you know, that's another story for another time. I mean, like, like you just said, it, uh, putting a jolt in the fan base, I mean, they won the World Series. They basically added the I, what I think is the best player in baseball when he's healthy, Acuna. Mm-hmm. They yep. added Kenley Jansen, yep. right, all-world closer. And then – you know, you replace Freddie with Matt Olson, who's balling out this year. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> like you don't, you just don't see that very often. It's kind of, you know, most, most teams coming off a title, yeah. you know, kind of stay the same or kind of, you know, some guys will leave and get paid somewhere else. Right. That wasn't, that, that's not the case. Unfortunately, Ronald had an injury, but right. Like to, to get a player of that caliber back. Like, Mm -hmm. and he, he wasn't, I mean, he played, you know, half the season or whatever and then got hurt, but he wasn't a part of the playoff run or anything. And he's, he's got to be hungry to get, you know, to, he has a ring, got a ring for, for last year, but Mm -hmm. I know he's got to be super hungry to, to kind of go out there and, and, and get one where he can put his stamp on it. When everything clicks for them, they're going to be really dangerous. They're going to be really, really dangerous. They have. You know, they added Spencer Strider to the, to the bullpen, guys electric, Clemson Tiger. They, they made some really, really good additions and they have some guys coming through the system that are going to be able to contribute later on in the season. Like I said, when everything clicks with them, it's going to be fun to watch. So like I said, a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz, a lot of talent in our organization right now. So it's pretty cool to see. I think, I think a lot of times people don't realize how difficult it can be playing minor league ball and, 
most weeks it's six games straight. You get Mondays off and then you're back, you know, six more. Uh, you're busing pretty much everywhere you go. Yep. Tell us what life is like in the, in the minor leagues, because I don't think a lot of people realize how rough it can truly be. You know, you've got these long road trips. Uh, people just see professional baseball players and they're like, Oh, it must be, you know, this lavish life. Tell us kind of about right. that. When you hear people talk about the minor league grind, they're not lying. A lot of times they, uh, don't do it justice based on how they describe it, but you learn to love the suck. It's you, you got to embrace it. It's part of the journey. And when, you know, the guys who are blessed enough to make it to where they want to be, make it, it makes it a whole lot sweeter. So yeah, we bus everywhere. We got a, we got a bus trip coming up. We leave at 5 PM tonight. Uh, we head to Chattanooga, which is about a six hour drive. You know, in 2019, we, we bust from Rome, Georgia to uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. It was an 18 hour bus ride. So we got out of a game at about 10 o'clock. We loaded up the locker room, packed up the buses, got on the road, drove through the night, got off the bus, slept for two hours, and then played a game. You know, the travel's a grind. It's gotten way better, though, with them redistricting the the different leagues. I think the longest bus ride we have this year is seven hours, which is not terrible in the grand scheme. The food has gotten way better since I first came into minor league baseball. The Braves have done a really, really good job. So this year is the first year that – um We've had housing provided for us. Otherwise, it's up to us to either find a host family or pay for our own housing. And this year, they're providing housing, and each player gets their own room with a queen bed. Um, we have a three-bedroom apartment with a fully furnished living room, uh, completely decked out kitchen. So they've done a great job. They've done a, made a lot of improvements. And uh, my paychecks have actually more than doubled since I got into minor league baseball. Now, I still make below the poverty line every year, but, um, again, it's part of it. So – Hopefully we can get to where we want to be and uh, it'll make this grind worth it. So sure. you do it because you love the game and, and everything else is kind of uh, secondary to that. A lot of times, you know, you have guys coming up and down and there's a ton of movement in minor league baseball. How is it difficult to build relationships with the guys on the team when there's so much movement up and down like that? No, I think a lot of guys that we actually come together, we know that, you know, we, we, uh, we bond over how crappy it is sometimes. So it's like everyone's kind of on the same page as far as, you know, what we're experiencing and what we're going through, but we're also going through it together. So it makes it a little bit easier. We got 26 guys in a locker room that are all experiencing the same thing, come from different walks of life, but we're all in the same place. So, and then in spring training, we're a lot, we're around a lot of the guys that we're going to see throughout the year. They kind of group us together. Uh, during spring training um, so that we can have an understanding of who we're going to be with throughout the season. So they do a really good job of that. The the locker rooms in professional baseball are a lot of fun, believe it or not. They're a lot of fun. Um, like I said, you get guys from the Dominican, you get guys from Venezuela, you get guys from Mexico, uh, the U.S. And it's just like this melting pot of, of guys coming together to try and chase one dream and, and, and kind of go through some crappy situations along the way together. So, it's it's pretty cool to see. I didn't know what to expect when I first got into it. Um, my first year in, in pro ball was in Danville, Virginia, and I got to tell you, that tested my love for baseball. It was a it was a tough city to be in. It was really really tough. So there wasn't a lot there. It, the stadium was small. The food wasn't great. The hotel was pretty brutal. <laughs> but it's gotten way better since then. So that's great to hear. I remember. Um... Maybe it was this uh, off season before the strike, or maybe it was sometime last during last season. But they announced that uh, the MLB, uh, I guess, league wide, was going to start mm-hmm. investing a lot more money in the minor league system, which uh, which yeah. is great. I mean, I think the the more, I mean, it makes sense, right? The more money you 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 kind of help out, whether you're paying more salary wise or you're giving more benefits like the housing and stuff like that, it's only yeah. going to boost the morale for the players to, you know, perform better and, and, you know, so on and so forth down the road. But um, right. so I got one more question uh, for you. And then uh, we're, I'm going to hit you with a few uh, short snaps. We, what we call short snaps, uh, just a couple quick questions uh, to kind of right. see, you know, get your personality out there. We, we, we ask uh, pretty much every guest that comes on the show, but uh, have you had to pay any young guy dues you know, since the time you got drafted? 
I haven't, not not in professional baseball. I did in college, as y'all are probably familiar. The freshmen, they get their fair share of initiation. But I, I have heard stories of guys who make it to the big leagues have to pay their their, their young guy dues a little bit. There's some pretty funny stories out there. Most of them involve a really, really big bill at the end of a nice team dinner. But That seems to be no, I, a pretty popular option across professional sports lately. I think that's kind of – that's the initiation now. It's not so much like the the H word. I'm not going right, to say it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The H word now, part of things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You bought us dinner. You're a part of the team now. Exactly. exactly. I'm exactly. sure it was probably way worse um, before they had a crackdown on it. But yeah, it normally happens once you get to the big league locker room sure. is where you'll probably experience that a little more. What about y'all? Did y'all, did y'all have any initiation type stuff that you had to go through when you were first drafted? Uh, Blake was drafted. I was undrafted. So I, um, my initiation was being the, uh, DD for a night, uh, taking all the specialists and one of our assistant coaches out, uh, for a mm-hmm. night on the town. Uh, so that was, that was fun. I don't know about Blake. I think, did you got, did you treat so, them to a dinner? Well, so it's, I'm, I'm glad that you actually asked that because during COVID 2020, my rookie year, we couldn't carry shoulder pads, oh, couldn't, right. you know, swap. Like I couldn't carry 17 helmets off the field. And so what they did was after that season, most of those guys had rookie dinners. My rookie dinner was actually postponed because Blakely, my niece was born. I was literally supposed to go. We were supposed to go down to prime 112 in Miami mm-hmm. to, uh, to eat dinner. And, uh, Blakely was born a week early. I fly up, had to, had to get out of, of the rookie dinner. Uh, so Jason Sanders, our kicker still gives me a lot of crap for that because, uh, as soon as I got back, that was when our punter left and he's up in Buffalo now. So, so the, the group hasn't gotten back together, but as soon as we get Jason and Matt back in the same city, uh, all three of us together, there will be a dinner at some point, I'm sure. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Let's get into some short snaps, Reed. Yep. A uh, few few questions here for you, Jake. Just just quick fire questions, whatever first comes to mind. Uh, favorite away park to pitch in? Favorite away park to pitch in? Uh, Greenville Drive. The Greenville Drive Stadium is awesome. Okay. Least favorite away park? Least favorite away park. Asheville Tourists. It is, uh, we call it Williamsport because it is so short. It's got to be some type of Yankee stadium. It's like playing in the Bronx. Yeah. It's like 297 down the right field line. It's Oh, super no. Short. That sounds like Fenway. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's really <laughs> short. Okay. Who, who is someone uh, – I know you mentioned, hit, you know, you, you pitched against the Yankees lineup, obviously had mm-hmm. uh, the adrenaline rush that comes with that, some of the big-name guys there. But who is someone that, that you are looking forward to facing – uh, someday once you get called up. I hope I get to face Joey again uh, because the last time I faced him, he hit a line drive off my face. So oh, I'd like no. to give him some payback. <laughs> Dude, you showed me that video. I I thought you died in that video. Like yeah. you, your face, like you took it straight to the nose. And I mean, yeah. or what was it? Your jaw or something? You, yeah, it hit me, it hit me right jaw. in the chin. Yeah, not your nose. It was brutal. Yeah. So, to, <clears> to, to so I'd, like, I'd, I'd like to give him some payback for sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. What, what, uh, what are a few art, who are a few artists on your pregame playlist? A few artists on my pregame playlist. Uh, I like Russ. I like Future. I like Five, Five Finger Death Punch, a little heavier, uh, then Sevenfold. <laughs> oh, wow. I like Go a little back. bit of, yeah, like heavy metal and then, uh, some, some rap. So that's typically what I would listen to on a pregame playlist. Awesome. Uh, favorite yeah. postgame meal? Favorite postgame meal? Oh, uh, you can't go wrong with a Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich. Oh, now we're talking. I love it. Yes. I love it. Yes. Love it. Uh, okay. Last, last, uh, question here. Um, this came up. Uh, we, we've asked every guest, I think that we've ever had sports related, uh, not sports related. Last year we played in Kansas City on Sunday night mm-hmm. football. It was like week five or six or something. We had, um, a rain delay at halftime. And I was, uh, eating a, a couple of us were in the hallway, like, you know, getting some fresh air and we were eating a couple of the PBJs that they had in the locker room. And I made a comment that they were a little too, um, too heavy on the PB. 
Oh, really? It was, it was sticking in my mouth a little bit. I had to drink a little more water than I probably wanted <laughs> to, to, to kind of wash it down. And, and, uh, Michelle Tafoya, the sideline reporter happened to be standing there and she overheard us. She, we kind of chit chatted a little bit about it. It eventually made it onto the broadcast in the second half of the game, unbeknownst to me until after right. the game. Obviously I got word of it and I was like, Oh my gosh. I was the guy talking about the peanut butter sandwiches. So anyway, <laughs> my question to you is what is the ideal PB and J ratio if you are making the sandwich yourself? If I'm making it myself, so when I eat a PBJ, it's normally an uncrustable. Yes. But if I'm making yes. it myself, yes. that's a popular that's a popular yes. uh answer. Um if I'm and it's gotta be frozen. It's gotta be a frozen uncrustable. It's like okay. a candy bar. Now we're talking. Um but if I'm making it myself. I probably prefer a little more peanut butter than jelly. Yeah, probably 60-40, going 60-40 peanut butter to jelly. Bang, right on it. That is it. it. Well, Jake, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, If you all want to follow Jake, you can find him at Jake underscore Hig, Instagram and Twitter. Jake, best of luck the rest of the way. We will be watching for you, and thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it, fellas. Enjoyed it. All right, Reed. I thought that that was one of my favorite interviews that we've done. Love having football guys on the pod, but it's always fun. Like we had Larry Fleet, had had Jake on this week. It's fun having some outside uh, outside blood to come in and just hang out and, and learn more about maybe industries or, or jobs that we don't necessarily know a whole lot about. I loved hearing all of the all of the people that he played against and with at East Cobb. It is insane to me to think about the factory that East Cobb is. I had a blast with Jake on the pod this week. What did you think? I thought it was great. Um, he's very, he is, you know, super insightful. I thought it was cool, you know, just hearing from guys. I mean, we, you know, you and I, we have heard, you know, we grew up watching baseball. We obviously – try to understand the world that he lives in being a minor league baseball player. It is a grind. It's a grind. Uh, and it's, it's a hard lifestyle till, till you can, uh, till you can, you know, hopefully make it up to the major leagues and, and fulfill that dream. Um, but just to hear about the perseverance and, you know, sticking with it and kind of, uh, you know, it's good to hear that they have, the MLB has committed to, treating those guys better, paying them a little more, putting yeah. them in better housing Definitely. and stuff, because that is such a point of contention or has been a point of contention in years past with guys trying to find host families and stuff and yep. and kind of living paycheck to paycheck, uh, which I understand is part of it and that they can't pay them a ton of money. But, um, you know, these, these baseball teams are making, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of money. Uh, so they they can afford to uh, funnel a little more to the guys that they would like to see in their uh, major league teams uh, someday. But I thought it was great. Um, he was a fantastic interview. I thought it was wonderful. So um, I hope everybody enjoys it. If you want to follow Jake on Instagram or Twitter, I know I mentioned this a second ago, at Jake underscore Hig, Instagram, Twitter, go give him a follow. He's got some He's got some cool insight into the baseball world. Like Reed said, it is a grind. So we are super pumped to see where he goes. I feel like he could be playing some big-time baseball here very soon and joining uh, the likes of Joey Bart and Brandon Marsh from the Buford Wolves. That Buford Buford Wolves 2015 state championship team was nasty. As always, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us uh, after the snap pod on Instagram, Twitter, we're now on TikTok. Go follow us in those places. Subscribe to us, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever nine. you consume content. We're probably there. That's a wrap on this week's episode of After the Snap. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week with a huge, huge guest. Tune in. Monday morning, we will be announcing who we'll have on next week. See you then. This has been After the Snap, tales from two brothers who live life upside down.